0: Good morning everybody. My name is Jacob Parnell and I'm the preaching minister here at the Tri-Valley Church of Christ and I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, I'm glad we get to worship together today. We're going to be in here and this is the fourth Sunday of Advent and so this is the last sermon in uh, an Advent series that we've been going through. Advent is a season of anticipation We are gearing up, not just for Christmas, but for the coming of Christ, what that meant for Israel, as we look back at some of these Old Testament prophecies and these gospel narratives about the coming, the arrival of Christ, uh, and what that means for us today, too. So uh, the message this morning that I'm going to deliver, I hope, is one that is encouraging for you, and I hope it reveals something about who God is and what he wants for our lives. So, thanks for being here, and uh, I want to begin by telling you a story about one of the best Christmas surprises that I ever got. It was on a Christmas morning when I was just a wee lad. Uh, I was probably eight years old or something like that. And back in 1989, the most exciting thing you could look forward to showing up underneath your Christmas tree was a Nintendo Entertainment System, classic NES. This was something that my family did not own. And it was one of those things where I was like, I really want a Nintendo. My mom's like, no, no, we can't afford it. And I said, Oh, okay, whatever. But you go over to someone's house, and next to their television, you'd see that gray box with the red letters, and you were like, Oh, they've got Nintendo here. And you hoped there would be time during your visit at these people's house that you'd get to play Super Mario Brothers and control what was on the television. This was a big, big thing. Uh, so we didn't have one, I super wanted one. This Christmas I asked for a Nintendo. Can I have a Nintendo for Christmas? I don't know, we'll see, we'll see. So a few days before Christmas, this box shows up underneath the Christmas tree and I recognize the shape of the box and the size of the box and I said, mom, that's a Nintendo, I am positive. I've seen that box in the store, It was wrapped, but I can, it's like I've got x-ray vision, it's a Nintendo. And she goes, ah, we'll see. Uh, So Christmas morning comes around, and I race downstairs, and I go to that box, and I tear open the wrapping paper, and it was a box, and it was for a Nintendo, and I was so excited, yay, yay, it's a Nintendo. Uh, And then I opened up the Nintendo box, and inside the Nintendo box was A Nintendo Entertainment System. I got it. The thing that I'd hoped for, the thing that I asked for, the thing that I sure I was going to get, I got. And it was the best Christmas ever. The end. So you might hear that story and think, you describe that as the best Christmas surprise, but there's nothing really surprising about that story because uh, it's the thing that you wanted, it's the thing that you asked for, it's the thing that you kind of knew you were going to get, and then when you opened it, it's what you got. So, I, yeah, that's true. Maybe I should manage expectations a little better when I tell stories. It's not really that much of a surprise because I sort of knew what was coming. Um, so let's try, let's try another one. We're going to look at a text in Micah chapter 5 this morning. And this is a little bit more of a surprise. There's a little bit more of an unexpected nature to what we're going to hear Micah say. So read this along with me. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be the ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. She will stand, he will stand as a shepherd. He will, stand, he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely for the greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And he will be our peace when the Assyrians invade our land and march Through our fortresses that one too you might hear and go that doesn't sound all that surprising either Jacob that sounds kind of like what we've come to expect that sounds about right that sounds like Jesus this sounds like one of those prophecies that predicts the coming of Jesus the Messiah after all he was from Bethlehem. We all know that. Uh, The Messiah is going to be the ruler over Israel. His name is going to be known. His influence is going to spread throughout the ends of the earth, and uh, he's going to be the Prince of Peace. I mean, it says Prince of Peace up on this banner that we have over here. That may not be much of a surprise for you as well, but when the people heard this, when Micah spoke it, I promise you this would have been a surprising story. This would have seemed very Unlikely to the people at this time because the nation was in chaos. This was generations removed from the glory days of King David and Solomon. Israel doesn't have the power that they have anymore. They're not as confident in their temple or in their security that they once enjoyed the northern kingdom of israel has already fallen assyria came in and they conquered those guys back in 722 Uh, this assyrian ruler named sennacherib has already attacked jerusalem he came pounding at the door and uh, by the grace of god they didn't get conquered then but it's just a matter of time before their stability is gone if you were living in israel at this time you were uncertain about things your culture was changing. The monetary, there was like a bartering system, and then they switched over to a mercantile kind of system, and people were going, "Ah, this is new, and this is different, and it seems like the prophets of God during this time, too, weren't being as faithful or reliable as they used to. It seems like they were just saying what the people wanted to hear. There are these messages earlier in Micah where it's like, why are you giving us these messages? We don't want to hear this bad news. Say something else. Just change your message, and the prophets were going, this is what God is saying. Like, there's these armies, and it seems like you're going to be conquered. You haven't been faithful. You've turned away from the Lord. There are some bad days coming. But years later, this prophecy is one that is cited when the, uh, the story of King Herod, who is in power, and he's abusing his power, and he hears that the Messiah is born somebody who's going to be this ruler of israel and he's a paranoid leader and he says wait i gotta find this ruler so we, you said he was just born right where where is he born and he tries to, to deceive them he says i want to go i want to go worship this ruler because this is somebody i want to meet right but he, if he hears that this person who's going to take over his power someday he's really wanting to kill him so he asks this question in matthew chapter 2 where is the messiah and they point back to micah 5 and they say well the scriptures say He's born in Bethlehem, this backwater burb where nothing really good comes out of there. And the gospel writers, when they tell this story, they say, look, this is true. This is where Jesus was born. He came out of Bethlehem, and he did shepherd his people. And yes, his greatness did reach the ends of the earth. And yes, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is our peace. And even though it may have seemed surprising in Micah's time, it made a lot of sense in Matthew's time. And now, for us, in our time, we hear this story and we go, of course, that's so predictable. It's hard to imagine things playing out any other way. The startling nature of this prophecy of Jesus' arrival into the world kind of loses some of its surprise factor. And I think that that's too bad. It's too bad that we've lost that because the way that God works in the world, the way that God has worked throughout history is often very surprising and very unexpected there's certain stories that sometimes define people and if you understand if you have heard a story about somebody you can kinda understand what they're like and what makes them tick now uh, there's a story uh, from Lisa and my relationship early on when we were dating she likes to tell this story the way she tells it is uh, completely wrong but I'll tell you the, <laughs> I'll tell you the version that she tells she says we were we were at a restaurant one time And I'd ordered fries, and she didn't want fries, and so she said, uh, she decided in her head, I'm just going to have some of your fries. So we get our food, and we sit down, and I start eating my fries. She reaches across the table, and she takes some of my fries, because, hey, we're dating now, and that's what you do. She's into sharing. Her family grew up sharing things. You go to a restaurant, you'd order something, and uh, you'd share it, you'd split it, but that was not how I was raised. I was raised in a house full of uh, females, and a lot of times they didn't finish their food. We'd all order something separate, and then what they couldn't finish, they'd give over to Jacob, and I would happily finish the food. So now we're dating. She reaches across, and she tries to take the fry, and I look at her. I give her this death stare, like, what in the world do you think you're doing? You don't take Jacob's fries. Jacob doesn't share fries. Don't you know this? And she, this, she tells the story. It's, it's great. And uh, this is the day that she discovered, oh, Jacob is very particular about his French fries. And I'll acknowledge now that it's not a very Christ-like attitude. You guys are like, you should be sharing. That, that's, that's your wife now. I, I still don't. To this day, <laughs> if we order fries, I'm like, if you want even one fry, you better order your own. And I'll happily pay for it. But when I order a, fry, <laughs> a serving of fries, I expect to eat all those fries. So now you guys know that story about me, and maybe it explains a lot. <laughs> maybe it helps you understand uh, how I, how I tick. Uh, There's a story that I keep coming back to in scripture that every time I hear it, I think this explains a lot. This reminds me of how God is. And it's the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel. Elijah versus the prophets of Baal. You might know this story, but in case you don't, I'll tell it for you. Elijah is a prophet and he's living in a time when the Kings won't listen and he's saying the words of Yahweh Um, this is a this is a few generations before Micah's time just to sort of put it in context but things aren't going so great and the people of Israel have turned to false gods and they're worshiping Baal and Asherah and then there's they have their prophets too so they're making sacrifices to these false gods and Elijah goes hey the one true God says You you were supposed to be in relationship with me, uh, not these other gods. And they go, ah, we don't want to listen to you. And Elijah says, here's what we're going to do. Let's go up on this mountain, and let's have a contest. Let's all go up to the mountain. Let's call our gods, and whoever's god shows up, that god is the true god. And they say, sounds great. Let's do it. So the prophets of Baal, there's 450 prophets of Baal, and they all march up to this mountain, and they make these two altars, and they put these animal sacrifices, because that's what you did back then. And uh, the prophets of Baal are up first. Elijah's like, after you. So they, early in the morning, they start, like, they build this altar, they put the wood, and they're saying, Baal, light the altar, receive this sacrifice that we're giving to you. And nothing happens. So they start shouting louder, and they start dancing around, and they work themselves up into a frenzy, this big mob of people dancing around on the top of the mountain, and nothing happens. One of the reasons I love this story kind of a side point, is that Elijah's over here just sort of watching the whole thing. He's witnessing this, and then he starts getting kind of snarky, and he starts <laughs> taunting them, and he says things like, hey, maybe he's asleep. Or maybe he's traveling. You better shout louder. That way he'll be able to hear you, and they do. <laughs> they do. They go nuts, and they're screaming, and they're dancing, and they're shouting, and then they take out uh, swords, and they start cutting themselves For some reason and it's just it's nuts and then the the day ends and nothing happens the sacrifice is still there and they go oh it's your turn (laughs) so then then elijah goes up and he goes to the altar that they built to yahweh and it's got wood on it and they're hoping that god will call down fire and ignite this pile of wood but elijah says you know what that wood looks too dry here's what i want you guys to do let's make this a little bit harder for my god Let's bring jars of water. So they bring jars of water, and they douse the altar. It's soaking wet. And Elijah goes, do it one more time. So they bring more water, and they douse the the wood, and it's like, man, there's no way this thing is ever going to light. It's soaking wet. And Elijah Elijah rolls up his sleeves, and he goes, not yet. Let's do it one more time one more round of water and then they dump all this water on there and scripture says that the wood is completely soaked the stones are completely soaked they dig a trench around the whole thing and it's just covered in water it's got its own moat now and Elijah steps up and he says God answer me show these people that you're God (laughs) the whole thing catches fire Fire comes down from heaven. The wood is burned up. The sacrifice is burned up. The rocks are completely turned to dust, and all the water that's in the trench is licked up and just completely gone. And Elijah wins this battle, and uh, the the rest of the story is actually remarkably violent. So I won't tell the rest of the story. Um, but this is a story that I keep coming back to as I think about how God works in the world. God works in very surprising and unexpected ways almost like I think God likes to show off his power by taking unlikely things and just, just going into the impossible situation and saying, I'm going to make this happen anyway. I'm not going to let this soaking wet wood stand in my way. This happens throughout Scripture again and again and again. Think of the story of Abraham and Sarah. They were too old to have descendants. Too old, and yet God comes through. Think of the story of Joseph. The youngest brother who was abused, sold into slavery by his own brothers who were supposed to be looking, up, looking out for him. He was too beaten up and he was too forgotten to ever have any kind of power or influence in the world. And yet, God shows up. Think of the story of Ruth. She's too foreign to have a place in Israel's history. She's not an Israelite. And yet, God comes through. David was too small. Another younger brother. Too small to defeat Goliath. And yet, God comes through again and again and again. It's like God's unpredictability is almost predictable. And when I hear this, it makes me realize that we should be steadfast in believing that the Lord is going to fulfill his promises, but we should be on our toes about how God is going to do that. I think that we should be prepared to be surprised. And this playful characteristic of God shows up all over the nativity story. Think about it. Bethlehem was too small of a backwater town to be the birthplace of the Messiah. Joseph was too righteous to marry a pregnant woman. Mary was too young to have a baby. Elizabeth was too old to have a baby. And yet, we get this in Luke chapter 1, them celebrating their pregnancies together, anticipating the coming of John the Baptist and of Jesus the Messiah. Luke tells us, at that time, Mary got ready and she hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she proclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And then the rest of the story proceeds. The Messiah comes near. And he's not from Jerusalem, this capital city. He's not, he doesn't come with an army, and he doesn't come with a sword, more unexpected. And then he doesn't drive out the Romans like everybody hoped he would, but the Messiah comes into the world in the form of a baby. From something small and unlikely and unremarkable comes the peace and the power of God. So this week is a special week. We've been in Advent. We've been saying, hold off on Christmas. That celebration is coming. It's beating down our door. It's everywhere, but we want to dwell in this time being in between. And I said, we weren't going to light up the lights on this stage until the week of Christmas. So here we are. We're at the week when Christmas and Advent meet each other, when anticipation meets fulfillment, when preparation meets celebration, when hope meets joy. There's kind of these two contrasting ideas that sort of work together and they meet in the middle. But as I think about this, I think some of us are more naturally advent people than we are Christmas people. Some of you just like Christmas comes really easy. It's a joyful celebration. And for you, Christmas time is very predictable. You know that that Nintendo is under the Christmas tree. You just know what's going to happen. You love the season. You love the songs. You love the gatherings, the celebration. You already know how this is going to go. And in your mind, it's going to go great. Because why wouldn't it? Because Christmas is a great celebration every year. But for others, joy at Christmas time doesn't come quite so easily. And maybe like Micah, you might be in the midst of a difficult change in your life. And the celebration may be something that you have to work toward. Maybe things aren't as predictable as they used to be. Maybe the times are different. Maybe there's changes that you're not okay with. Maybe there's things that are outside of your control and your reason to celebrate may be delayed. Or maybe you just don't know what to expect. Lisa taught a class this fall and they looked at some of the the women of the Bible and they did the story of Mary and Elizabeth. And, And Lisa pointed out to me that Mary goes out of town and she visits her relative Elizabeth and they celebrate together in this text that we read. But it wasn't just a, might not have just been a, hey, I wanna share this good news with you. It might have been because Mary was not married. She didn't have a husband. Uh, There was probably whispers and gossip and talk that she was maybe just trying to get away from. Maybe she went to go and visit Elizabeth to get away from the craziness in her life from the unexpected and so this moment of celebration that we get to witness between Mary and Elizabeth it may have just been a temporary relief from pains and struggles in her life and this may be how Christmas feels for some of you this year there's a lot going on Christmas can be this this break and this celebration and you may not feel up for it or you may not be sure what's going to come after it But whether you're wired as a Christmas person or if you're wired as an Advent person, I want to encourage you this season to celebrate with Mary. Don't miss the celebration. Don't miss the joy of the Lord coming into the world. And I encourage you to hope and trust in things unseen, like Micah. Maybe there's uncertainty. Maybe things are unexpected. But that doesn't mean the celebration is going to stop. And if you're an Advent person... I want to encourage you this morning, find a Christmas person and follow their joyful, festive example this week. And if you're a Christmas person, I want you to find an Advent person. And I want you to love them. And I want you to invite them. I want you to encourage them and acknowledge the things in their life that are unstable or unpredictable or uncertain. I want us to remind one another that like the small clan of Bethlehem, God still works in small, unlikely people and places. I want to tell you about somebody that I met this fall. Her name is Louise, and she lives down the street that way. She, has, she lives in a, a home that has 24-hour care because um, she's, she's older. She's in a wheelchair. Um, she doesn't remember things quite as well as she used to. I got a phone call from her son. She said she misses the church. She, she misses uh, taking communion and, and worshiping. Uh, could you go and visit with her? And I said, yeah, I can do that. So uh, Phil Weiss and I actually have been kind of tag-teaming these Sunday visits. And most Sundays we'll go after worship here. We'll go down the street and we'll sit with Louise. And um, it's not very exciting, just to be honest. Not, nothing big happens when we visit Louise, at least on the surface. I go there and I wonder sometimes if she recognizes me or remembers me from the previous week. Um... We turn off the television <laughs> that the other residents of the home are watching at full volume, uh, just for a few minutes. And I take out a little little cracker and a little cup of juice. And I remind her that Jesus loves her and that Christ died for her. We pray together. She takes the cracker. She drinks the juice. Uh, we sing songs like Jesus Loves Me. And that's, that's when I get the most out of Louise. Uh, a lot of times when I ask her questions or talk with her, she just says, yes. You had a good week, Louise? Yes. She's so sweet. She's so kind. The most words that she says is when we sing, do you know Jesus loves me? Jesus loves me this. I know and she'll sing it with me. Or we'll sing Amazing Grace together. Man, it kind of reminds me of the, the baby leaping in Elizabeth's womb. It's almost imperceptible. It's not a big thing. But it represents and it reverber- it represents something big and it just reverberates out, it has this massive impact. I believe what Jesus said when he said, "We two or more are gathered together in my name, then guess what? I'm there with you. So Louise and I we gather together with Jesus. We take communion together. and it's awesome. and God is near. I want to share a quote that I I read that I think is appropriate this time of year. This is by Henry Nouwen. He says, Yes, I know that not everybody has been converted yet. I know that there is not yet peace everywhere, that all pain has not yet been taken away, but still I see people turning and returning home. I hear voices that pray. I notice moments of forgiveness, and I witness many signs of hope. I don't have to wait until all is well, but I can celebrate every little hint of the kingdom that is at hand. I want to encourage you to look for those things this week. Be part of bringing those things into the world. And honestly, uh, after worship today, my family, we're going to take some cookies to Louise and we're going to sing some Christmas songs. And if you want to come along, you are invited. Uh, We'll fill up her house and we'll make the roof come off like a popcorn (laughs) popper if you want to do that. If your faith feels small, if your prayers feel small, if your purpose and your influence feels small, then take heart, because that is where you find God the most. That's where God likes to flex his muscles and come in and do the unexpected. God has not forgotten you. God is not out of surprises. The best story, the greatest gift, and the biggest surprise is salvation smuggled into the world in a manger. I want to invite the praise team to come back up here. They're going to prepare to lead us in this this last song, A Little Town of Bethlehem, but I want to share with you verse 3 which I think kind of supports what these scriptures have been saying and what I've been talking about this morning. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. And so God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Blessings to you guys. Merry Christmas. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Let's stand and worship together.
1: Oh, little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie! Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in shineth the everlasting light the hopes and fears of all the years are met. sun